I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas today. If you have your Bibles with you, um, would you go ahead and open them up to Isaiah chapter 40. Our text this morning is going to be Isaiah chapter 40, uh, verses 27 through 31. It'll be the last four verses of the chapter. I'm going to go ahead and read the text, and then we're going to pray. He says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right hand is disregarded by my God. Have you not known, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall be exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Father, this morning, God, as we gather in the name of Jesus this morning, um, Lord, I know this is the day that we celebrate on our calendar to celebrate the birth of Christ. And I know there's much that is wrong with that. I know there's much debate even amongst believers about it but father this morning let us like the song said let us turn our eyes upon jesus god let us behold his beautiful face today i pray god that as each one is gathered this morning lord you know only you know the hearts of each one sitting here and my prayer god is I believe, Lord, that it's not by accident. And so, Lord, I pray that you would, God, speak to us. We pray that you would get glory this morning. We pray that your word would be proclaimed and Christ would be exalted. Amen. Isaiah chapter 40. I don't like to just grab a passage and just break into it. So I'll give a little bit of background, but I will tell you this. We're going to focus on verse 31 today somewhat. And you're probably familiar with that verse, even though you might not have known what Isaiah chapter 40 was. You've probably seen plaques hanging in homes. You've probably seen it on T-shirts even. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. This passage, like a lot of uh, verses that we see like this, you know, that become very popular, are usually interpreted wrongly they're usually taken out of context and even though when they're somewhat right there's probably a a bigger picture to what it really says but in order to understand what this 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 passage is 27 through 31 is talking about i just want to do a little bit of background just really quick and brief on the book of isaiah and i mean when i say brief it will be brief isaiah's prophecies cover from about 740 to 700 B.C., some people will say even even down to about 680. When you break down the book of Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39, it's about Isaiah deals with uh, uh, Judah's situation during his time. I mean, it's dealing with, it's confronting Israel of its sin. And then from chapter 40 and onward, his prophecies are going to deal with the coming captivity of In Babylon, which Justin covered a little bit this morning in his teaching about the wise men, but it's going to he's he's going to be prophesying about what's going to come to them. And he's speaking to them of God's assurance of salvation, of deliverance. You can put it like that. And so when we look at chapter 40, it's kind of broke up into different sections, Um, one through five. Or actually, you could almost just say 1 through 11. He's telling them the gospel. He's giving them the good news. And when you look at it, I'll just briefly go through it. He says, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended. Now, she's not even actually in captivity yet. 
And he says she, that she has, she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And when you search that out, he's talking about honor. She's been punished for her sins, and he's in return bestowing honor. And there's some references I could take you to, but I just don't, for time's sake, I'm not going to today. And then he says this, he says, a voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And if you're familiar with the New Testament, you'll know that that's what John the Baptist came proclaiming. And he says, every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You know what he's saying there? He's basically telling you this. All of those impossible things, all of those things that we looked at and we said, how can this come to pass? He's saying when this, when he comes, he's saying it's all going to be made plain. He's, he's going to break down the, the things that are too big, the places that are too deep, it's too rough, and he's going he's to make it smooth. It's going to be very possible. And a voice cry, says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? And he says, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. But he says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. He's saying, although everything else is going to wither away and it will fail, the reason these things are true is because God's word is steadfast. And he goes to this part. He says, go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald the good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald the good news. Lift up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and he will recompense before him, and he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms, and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Now, people will debate over exactly the time frame of this, but I will tell you this, no matter how you look at it, he's coming to deliver his people. He's coming to gather up his people. He's going to carry them in his arms like a shepherd, shepherd would a lamb. And then we get down here, and he just talks about God. Um, his ways are beyond our comprehension, 12 through 14. And I'm not going to read all these, but in 15 through 17, he talks about the nations. He says the nations are nothing before him. They're not even to be compared. We look at world powers today. We look at all the things going on in the world, and we just stand sometimes, and we're just, sometimes we fear and God says, they're not even, you could pile them all up together. And they're not to be compared to God. In 18 through 20, he says, idols are nothing before God. There's people today that will still bow down to an idol, to a tree, to a rock. And they'll bestow worship to it. These dumb idols that can't speak, they have to be carried from place to place if they're even going to move. And God says, are you going to compare that to me? And then he says this in 21, he says, do you not know, do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretch out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in and who brings to princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted Scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. And when he blows on them, they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Our God is sovereign and rules and reigns over everything and everyone. And then he says, to whom will you then compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. He says, lift up your eyes on high and see who created these and when he's here, he's talking about looking into, at the nighttime, looking up at the stars. He says, who, he who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, and not one is missing. 
Have you ever just stepped out at night and just beheld on one of those cloudless nights and looked at all the stars? I mean, you know, scientists back in the day said there's only 10,000 of them. Well, my goodness, if you were going to try to call them out by name, 10,000 is quite a bit. But Job said he stretches out the heavens like, a, like you would a curtain. And you know what they found now? They go, it appears through our telescope that the galaxy is just expanding. And God says, who are you going to compare to me? Not only did I create them, but I call them out by name. And before you laugh and you scoff, maybe God means exactly that. And then he gets to 27. Now, verse 27. Before I start this, I want, to, I want to start it with this. There's two questions that God's people often, that they often ask. One is this. Can God really do this? And when, I, when, I'm, when I'm putting that question to you, so much of the time, it's just dealing with things that are in your own life. And you're basically saying, does God really have the power to change the situation that I'm in? And the second question is, does God really care about me? Listen to what he says. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by my God. Christian, have you felt before that surely God doesn't see my situation? I've prayed, I've asked, I've, I've, I've been on my knees and maybe for days now, maybe even for weeks. Maybe I've been praying for months and God just doesn't notice me. It's, it almost seems like I don't exist before him. And then we start questioning, can God really do things? My goodness, we've got wayward children. We've got relationships that are struggling. We went and reasoned. We went and done all these things, and God hasn't moved on my behalf. Am I really God's child? Anybody ever been in that place? You might be in that place this morning. Oh, and by the way, this is a Christmas message. Just hang with me. Look what he says. Those are the questions they ask. And, and he responds with this. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard? Well, I want you to know something as he's writing that, as he's prophesying that they have known and they have heard. Look at the list of questions. He says, have you not known? Have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God? Folks, when we think of the everlasting, we think of eternal. When we think of us as having eternal life, I started on January the 6th, 1966, at least born into this world. And, and I've got eternal life, and so I'll live eternally. But when we speak of everlasting, the Bible says that God is from everlasting to everlasting. He's not confined by time. He's not confined to this world. He's outside of it. How do you get in your head? He has no beginning. He, there is no cause. He is the cause for everything else. He says, have you not been told that? Do you not know? He says, have you, do you not know that he's the creator of the ends of the earth? God spoke all this into existence. He upholds it. He makes everything continue by his own power, by the word of his mouth. And someday he's going to end this one and make a new one. And not only that, do you not know that he doesn't faint and he doesn't grow weary? How many of you have felt at times that I messed up again, Boyd? This is like 3,080 now. I told God I would... Never do it again. God, no doubt, is weary with me. Why do I think that? Because when I've told my children something two or three times, I'm just about ready to wring their neck. I've grown weary with the situation. And we attribute the way we are to God. And God says, do you not know that I don't grow tired? I don't grow weary? I don't faint? 
I can assure you God has not grown weary with you today. He's not like me and you. We're not to be compared to the holy God. He doesn't grow he doesn't faint, he doesn't grow weary. Have you not understood? Have you not known that his understanding is unsearchable? When you get time, look, just go to the book of Job when Job is complaining and saying, I, I wish I, they would blot out the day that I was born. I'm innocent. I, I, I want to plead my cause. And so from chapter 38 all the way to chapter 42, God says, you want, you want to talk, Job? You want to answer some questions? Where were you when I did all these things? Job interrupts for a moment. He says, I'm going to put my hand on my mouth. I'm not going to say any more. And God continues with this question after question after question. His ways are unsearchable. And then what we do is we start going through a time. And we start going, oh God, don't you see my situation? Don't you care about me, God? Maybe God can't do this. Maybe God can't change the situation. That's what starts going through our minds. He says, even youths shall faint. Thank the Lord for that, right? When we have break time and after this is over, we're going to be wishing, like, Lord, I wish that was happening right now. These guys, I mean, have you ever noticed your little kids, I mean, man, they're just going, going, going. And then right before it, they do faint, it's like they wind up. But praise God, they will faint. Right? And he says, and even the young men shall be exhausted. What he's talking about is when you start putting your confidence in your youth and in the military power and all these things, he says they're even going to fail. They're going to grow exhausted. But God, God does not. And then we get to the famous verse. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Now, when we read this, we go by the plaque so we can remember it. We put it on our wall, and it's a beautiful verse. And we have this idea that I'm just going to wait on the Lord, and my strength is going to be renewed. And it will. But we're expecting this supercharged, like some kind of superhero type thing to happen. And then I'm going to be able to do all these things that I've been praying about. Is that really what God means here? And he goes on and he says this. He says, they shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Now, there's two thoughts here. And I don't know. I have always heard it like this. That when eagles teach their young to fly, they'll take them out of the nest. They'll kind of throw them out of the nest. They're way up, way up, thousands and thousands of feet. This young eagle's never flown. And it looks pretty bad, just falling down. They're trying to do stuff, and they're just... And that eagle, before it will hit the rocks below, it will swoop down and just like that and carry it back up. And let's do it again to teach it how to fly. Now, the other thing I heard was this, that eagles, I didn't even know this, but I guess some certain birds, they, they do something called molting. And supposedly when eagles molt, they'll go into the sea, the feathers will come off, and new feathers will grow, and they'll actually be stronger than before. They will renew their strength. Now, I don't know how he means it, but I'm going to tell you this. Those that wait upon the Lord... They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. They that wait for the Lord. In the church, this idea to wait on the Lord... It's not some idea of, I'm going to sit here and just wait, okay? Actually, you could say this. You could say, they, they that hope in the Lord. And the hope is not like the way we use the hope today, like, oh, I hope today's a good day. We use it like we would say wish. 
the, the biblical word hope, the way it's used, it is a confident expectation that what God has promised, God is going to bring to pass. And so he says, those that wait, those that are hoping in the Lord, it doesn't mean just to sit around and do nothing. It is knowing and believing that what God has promised is true and that he is able to do what he has spoken regardless of the present circumstances. And you see, my fear today is that our focus is so much upon our present circumstance that we really don't understand what this passage is talking about. And so we're going to look at that in a moment. Actually, if you got your Bibles, would you just turn them over to Hebrews chapter 11? Hebrews chapter 11. Now, he says, they that wait upon the Lord. Now, I want you to understand that, that waiting is not, you know, like we said, it's not standing around, it's not doing nothing, but it's as you're living life. Because I got news for you, and you've probably figured this out if you've had any trials. You ever notice that the world doesn't stop for you to get everything in order so you can catch your breath? Okay? When, when, we, when we were in Stratford, uh, we were a small group, and the guy who founded the church, he decided to do something different. And so we're kind of left there. And at this point, we're just kind of like, oh, man, what do we do? We were just a little confused. We weren't sure what to do. We were so small, and things just didn't ever seem to be going the way we wanted to as far as growing and going to have a building or not and, you know, just basic things. And so I tell everybody, I said, hey, let's just take a month off. You know, I needed to kind of get my bearings about me, and, you know, I felt like everybody was kind of okay and was like, let's just visit around and all this. Well, Brother Don Kern, who's been here, he asked me what we're doing. And I said, well, we're just taking a little time off. He goes, what? He says, now, you know, Don's a nice man. Don got really plain with me. He goes, brother, what are you doing? I was like, what do you mean? He goes, you better gather them up. I said, well, we're just, you know. I said, have you ever just been wore out, Don? You need a break? He goes, yeah. And if you get a chance, do it. But you ain't got time right now. Nice brother Don. He wasn't that mean, really. But he was very plain. See, the truth is the world doesn't stop. So what we're talking about as... As we're going through these trials, as we're sitting there and we're like, Lord, do you see my predicament? Do you see the situation I'm in? Do you care about me, Lord? God, can, can you do this? In chapter 11, listen to what it says. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You see, faith is that, that evidence that you see in a person when everything is going wrong and no matter what's going on, they don't stop. They just keep looking to the Lord. They keep pressing. They keep, what do they keep doing? They are waiting on the Lord. No matter what it looks like. And we're going to see several examples of this. He says, for by it, now listen to this, for by it the people of old received their commendation. And the old King James it says they obtained a good report. Now I'm going to skip down to verse 6 and listen to this. He says, Without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. I got a question. Do you really believe that today? Do you really believe that God is, we'll say there, I'm going to tell you, is in the compound names, God is here. He is here. And he's going to reward those that with all diligence they seek his face. So, I'm going to pick up in verse 8. 
And I want you to know something. When we look at this verse, they that wait upon the Lord, it's got, there's two ideas there. There's two thoughts. One is the present, and one is the eternal. One is the future, okay? So as we go through things, we're looking for God to move on our behalf in the predicament we're in, and at the same time, we're looking for that that overarches even our immediate situation. If that don't make sense, just hang with me. Wait for it. In verse 8, he says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And I'll stop right there. Now listen, God had come to Abram. It wasn't Abraham, it was Abram. And he made him a promise. He says, I'm going to give you this land to inherit, it, to inherit, and I'm going to give you a child, an offspring, a seed. And you're going to be a father of nations, and in your seed all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Okay? And so Abraham, what does he do? He picks up, he goes, and he puts his tent down. And I want you to know something. Even in those days, a tent was not a permanent dwelling place. It was, you were just kind of sojourning. You were just kind of visiting. But he's in the land of promise. He's in the land that was promised to him. But guess what? In all of those years, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they never were able to inherit the land as their own. Now listen to me. But God promised it to them. Okay? Now listen, he goes on, he says, By faith Sarah received herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. And therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, let me give you just a little bit of history, though. It says, by faith, Sarah did this, but let me tell you what happens. You see, church, I want you to understand something. There is this idea of waiting for the Lord. Now, what we're doing is we're waiting for God to open doors. We're waiting to advance as God directs and as God leads and as God has promised. Now, before Sarah had faith that God was going to do this, Sarah and Abraham devised a plan some 14 years before that. And it went like this. Abraham says, I don't have a child, and God promised me a child, and it hasn't happened. What does that look like? God made the promise. I was 75 then. Now I'm 85. It's been 10 years. I'm not getting any younger. I mean, we're almost in our 90s, sir. We're, you know, if we're going to have children, we better do it now. That's what all 80-year-old ladies say, right? The point is, they were running out of time, weren't they? If we look at it through our eyes, they're running out of time. But God promised. Remember, is, is God able to do this? Does God care about me? Does God see my predicament? Has he forgotten who I am? And so they devise a plan, and they say, hey, I'll tell you what. Sarah says, I have a, a servant. I own her. She's actually my property. It was a lot of different things back then. Ain't got time to go into that today. But because she was Sarah's property, she said, I'm going to give you my handmaid. Go into her. And we'll have an heir that way. Isn't that what churches do today? Instead of just waiting on God, let's buy some fog machines. That'll get people saved. Disco lights. We're just going to help God out. I want, I want you to be assured he does not need our help. Okay? He's going to use us, but he doesn't need our help. And so what happened was they have a child, Ishmael, and Abraham loved him. But let me tell you something. When we fail to wait on God, we're going to suffer the consequences of it. Okay? I'm just going to tell you right now, we're going to suffer the consequences. And so even today, what we see going on in the Middle East, that comes from back here. That stems all the way back to Ishmael and Isaac. There's a hatred there. Because 
after he had Isaac, Sarah said, you get that woman and her child, you get them out. He had to go put that child out and put them away. And there's a hatred even to this day between Ishmael and, and Isaac through Israel. Now, listen to this. When he's talking here, though, they waited. And when God came, when Abraham's 99, Sarah's 89, God says, about this time next year, she's going to have a child. And she laughed. Well, they had a child. She named the child Isaac, which means laughter. She said, I laugh, but now everybody's going to laugh with me. The child promised. Now listen, it says, these all died in faith, not having received the things God promised. The, listen, the things God promised. Now, what was that? It was the land and the air, right? It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Now, wait a second. Here's Isaac, right? But having seen them and greeted them from afar off and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth, it says, for the people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. And if they'd been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But that is, as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now listen to this. By faith, Abraham Ishmael's been pushed out. Isaac is the heir. Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises, now here we are again, who had received the promises, was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Now listen, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Now, I want you to listen to this real close. He had Isaac. There was two promises made to him. You're going to inherit the land and you're going to, you're going to have his child. You're going to have offspring. He's had Isaac, but he says they didn't receive the promises. He goes and God tests him. He says, I want you to offer up your son, your only son to me. He goes, he binds him, he puts the wood on him and everything. He stretches his hand out to slay him and God says, stop. And he stopped. And God says, don't slay your son. And Abraham looked and he turned and there was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns and the Bible says God prepared himself a lamb for the offering. You see, when those Pharisees were arguing with Jesus in the book of John, and they came and they said, we're, we're Abraham's children. And in one place he says, you're not even 50 years old, and you're saying you was before Abraham. And Jesus says, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced in it. On that mountain, God was showing him, you're not going to offer up Isaac. That's not the promised one. That's not the one I'm really talking about. Even though he was promised, it wasn't the, it wasn't the overarching promise because they didn't receive those yet. God said, I'm going to offer up my son. I don't know how Abraham knew it, but Abraham saw that day. He looked ahead. You know what he was doing? He was waiting on the Lord. He's looking for that day. It says, by faith, Isaac, in verse 20, he invoked future blessings of Jacob and Esau. You know, we always talk about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, Abraham gets a lot of chapters. Jacob gets a lot of chapters. Isaac gets about two. He's not a very, not a lot of glamour about him. I mean, just in no way possible. Here's another story of not waiting. When, 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 when Rebecca's, or, um, um, yeah, Rebecca, when she's expecting, you know, her children, the Lord comes and says, there's two nations in your womb. And it says, and the elder's going to serve the younger. This is God's promise. 
This this family, you want to talk about dysfunctional? This family, you've got Isaac favors Esau. Rebecca, she favors Jacob. I mean, yeah, Jacob. All these names are going to run together on me. Esau comes in from the field, sells his birthright to Jacob. Jacob's got that over him. Now, let me just tell you something. It doesn't tell us in the Word of God, but I guarantee you Isaac knew about it. I guarantee you Rebecca's telling uh, Isaac, now look, you know the Lord spoke to me and he's going to get the firstborn. But here's Esau. I mean, he loves Esau. No, I'm going to do it this way. You got Esau. He knows he sold his birthright. He still wants the firstborn inheritance. He runs out to get the savory food and in the meantime, Sarah and her all scheming. I mean, the whole family. This is like a bad soap opera. Everybody's deceiving everybody. But when Isaac realized he had gave the blessing to Jacob, there was something in there that by faith he knew God was in control. He was still looking ahead. He was still looking to the promise. It says, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus in Israel, in, in, of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, he was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and were not afraid of the king's edict. And by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now listen, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. There was something in Moses that he didn't look at the immediate. He looked beyond. But even Moses, I mean, there had to be some teaching going on, didn't there? I mean, it was like there was something about Moses when he's a baby. They hit him. They put him in the stream. Pharaoh's daughter, out of all people, finds him, adopts him as her own child. Who does she get to raise him to be the nursemaid? His mother. And you don't think God's in control? You don't think his mother would talk to him and tell him who you are? So Moses comes out. He's going to be the deliverer, right? He looks around. Here's, a, here's an Egyptian being cruel to an Israelite. What's he do? He walks over and kills him. He just supposed that everybody would know he's going to deliver. He wasn't waiting on the Lord. So what did God do? God takes him 40 years out into the wilderness to, to tend sheep. When God comes to him, he says, now you're ready. He says, I can't even speak well. You've got the wrong man. He says, nope, you're the right man in his time. They that wait upon the Lord. What we're seeing is all these men, even though they made mistakes, there was something in there that they still were looking ahead. They were still looking ahead at the promises of God. He says, now look at this. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. This is verse 29. And is on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. You talk about waiting on the Lord. Can you imagine being backed up to the Red Sea? The people who hate you are coming with all of their military might. You don't even have an army. You got a bunch of women, children, and old men. I mean, you know, it's all mixed in there. You don't have swords. You don't have nothing to fight with. But Moses is saying, just be still. Be still. Just wait. Just wait. God causes the darkness to come. The Egyptians can't see him through the night. Stretch out your rod. He brings in a wind and he parts the sea. They start going across it. They waited. God renewed their strength. They went through on dry ground. God destroyed the Egyptians with the same water that he separated. He destroyed the Egyptians trying to pursue them. Man, our God is in control, isn't he? All of this to this point is all prior to going into the promised land. Now in verse 30... They're going into the promised land. They're there. Do you know how long it's been since he promised Abraham that? Roughly 500 years. Now, I want to ask you something, church. How long have you been waiting on what you're praying about? Two weeks? A month? 
How long were you waiting before you finally gave up? It's just been too much. God doesn't care. God doesn't notice me. And I don't think God's able to do it. I want you to understand that when God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you that land, I'm going to give it to you and your offspring, that's what he's going to do. He's not working on our timetable. As you panic, he's not in a panic. He's asking you why you're panicking. So finally, Joshua leads him through. Now, we always sing songs at funerals, crossing Jordan. Folks, crossing Jordan ain't got nothing to do with dying, okay? I'm sorry, all those songs are wrong. When you go to heaven, you're not breaking down Jericho walls and stuff. This is really about salvation. This is really entering into the saved life. God has brought his people to what they promised. And this is what happens to so many Christians. Now I'm a Christian. All the hard things are over with. There's no more trials. Remember God promised, I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. And you won't even have to build the cities. Well, guess what? There's a problem. There's people in there. And they don't want to give it up. It's just like when you're conquering sin in your life and you're conquering strongholds in your life. They don't want to give up. They don't want to let it go. And so God says, we're going to go up there and you're going to conquer Jericho. Here's the way we're going to do it. I got this great plan. Joshua, you go tell the people. You go march around the city. You go march around today. Don't do nothing. Just march around it. Do it tomorrow. Do it the next day. Do it six days. On the seventh day, we're going to do it well, seven times, seven times around. And i got to be honest. If you're that, you're the Israelites, you're kind of thinking, what are we doing? If you're the people in Jericho, you're thinking, what are they doing? The only one that knew what was going on was God. And on the seventh day, when they did what the God told them, they blew on the trumpets, the walls fell flat. And they conquered. Wait upon the Lord. Wait. Follow. Do do it the way God has said to do it. People struggling in their marriages. Trying to fix it. Demanding how it's going to be. Open up God's word and do what he said and wait. There's people today that are they're going through hard things. But let me go on. I don't want to take up all that. I mean, I want to be brief as I can. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Do you know that they, he said, you know, do you know how when you went into a city back then you knew what the house of ill repute was all about? It wasn't a red light district back then. It was basically a red scarf district. He said, hang this out. We'll know it's you. Everybody in your house is going to be saved. She was a harlot. She was a prostitute. But yet she believed by faith that she would be saved. Now listen. He says, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson. I mean, Gideon, I'm the least of the least of the least. You've got the wrong guy. God said, no, I'm going to use you and 300 men to destroy an army you can't number. Wait. We see those memes all the time. Wait for it. We're good at posting them, but we're not good at living it out sometimes. Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel and the prophets. Listen, who through faith they conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. And as I'm reading this, I mean, I hope it's going through your mind when it's talking about, you know, the power of fire. You got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown in the furnace, and it, and it didn't even singe their hair or their clothes. They stopped the mouths of lions. Daniel being thrown in the lions. Then, listen, they quenched the power of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war. They put foreign armies to flight. Women received their dead by resurrection. I bet all these people had that plaque in their house that said, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. It always works out good for us, right? Now listen to the very next one. 
Some were tortured. But are they waiting? Some were tortured. Now listen to this line right here. Refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. They were waiting on the Lord. Even in the midst of being tortured and being put to death. Because they refused to surrender. They refused release so that they might rise again to a better life. They were looking ahead to the promises. Others suffered mockings and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. See, this doesn't go with the doctrines you hear in a lot of places. This isn't supposed to happen to believers. This is why we're going, God, don't you know who I am? He says, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in, in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Now that, friends, is the testimony that God gives to them. These ones who suffered, the world was not worthy of them. And it says... They wandered about in deserts and in mountains and in dens and in caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. How did they keep going? Turn your Bibles, if you will, to Luke chapter 2. In verse 1 it says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration when Quirinus was governor of Syria. And they all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. If you missed it this morning, Justin taught about the three, <laughs> the three wise men, taught about the wise men, the magi. It's incredible probably through the captivity of people like Daniel and Haggai and different ones, they learned about this Messiah that was going to come. Because when all the, the signs lined up from the prophecies in the Old Testament, these men traveled, Justin said, six to 800 miles to come see this promised king. And yet when he came... The very ones he was promised to. Listen. The very one that Abraham was looking to. The one that Isaac was looking to. The one that Jacob was looking to. He's arrived. And they missed it. Now listen to this. And in the same region there were shepherds in the field keeping watch over the flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, and behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. I mean, when the Bible talks about the prophets were prophesying of the coming of Christ, they searched diligently to find out when it would be, what time it would be, what it was going to look like. They didn't even understand what they were actually prophesying about. They knew he was coming, but they didn't know when. And now the times came. And the angels is basically saying, this is the good news. Back in Isaiah 40, this is that news we was telling you about. God's going to deliver his people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David. David was looking for that. It wasn't Solomon who was going to build the temple. It was Jesus who was going to build that temple. A Savior. In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ, who is the Messiah, the Lord, the Sovereign Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Now, I want to tell you something. Anytime there's a baby born, what do we want to do? We want to run up there and see the baby, don't we? Well, as a grandparent, I remember when we was in Louisville, Kentucky, we were there with Andy's folks, and or they were there and we were there, and it had been a rough time having him. And finally, we knew he was born. We knew he was there, but nobody had got to see him yet. We got the news. He's coming down the hall in his little wheeled thing, like a little bassinet thing. You're trying to act civilized. But every, and it's, not, it's rough on a short guy trying to look over everybody. But you're just trying to get a glimpse of him. When Benjamin, the same way, when he was born, we was out there in the waiting room. They said, you can go in. You don't want to run in front of somebody. You don't want to be shoving the other grandparents down. But you want to put your eyes upon this baby. When those shepherds came in and they laid their eyes upon this babe, there had never been ever a baby that had been looked forward to coming. And they didn't understand it. But can you imagine? Can you imagine those lowly shepherds? They had heard about the problems. They didn't know if they believed them. Look at our plight. Look at our situation. Does God care about us? That's what Gideon was asking. Where's God? We've heard about him. Why didn't he deliver us? Here's some lowly shepherds. An angel appears and says, here's where you're going to find him. This is going to be the sign. They don't go to the inn. They go. Can you imagine walking in that? It's like a cave. It's a hewn out place in a, in a rock. Can you imagine them just trembling Going, this is what Abraham was looking to. This is what Isaac was looking to. This is what Jacob was looking to. This is what David was looking to. And when their eyes fell upon that babe, here is the promise. Here is the one that you look to, that your strength is going to be renewed. You're going to mount up with wings as eagles. I mean, look, he goes on down. And it, listen to what it says. The angels went away in verse 15. From, they went away from them into heaven. The shepherds said, let us go over to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known they, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child and all who heard it. They wondered. It means they were standing there in, in shock and amazement. And like, are, are, can it be at the, what the shepherds told them? And Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. As it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, he, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now listen. And when the time came for purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And they went to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves. Or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem. Now listen to this. Whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout. Listen. Waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's what he was talking about way back there in Isaiah 40. God's going to deliver his people. Have you not heard? Have you not? Do you not know that he's the everlasting God? Do you not know he's the creator of all the ends of the earth? Do you not know that he doesn't get, he doesn't grow faint, he doesn't grow weary? Have you not known these things? 
What God has promised, His Word is sure, it's steadfast, it's going to happen. And listen to this. It had been, in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, it says he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. Now I want you to picture that. He has been, he is alive at the time that all those patriarchs had been waiting for, been looking to. That day that Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced in it and was glad in it. And now you have Simeon, and God has told him, you're going to see that promise. Can you imagine the trembling, the picking up of that baby that was eight days old and blessing God? And this is what he said. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all your peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. That's incredible. And it goes on down and it talks to Anna, who had been a widow for most of her life. She was 84 years old. She'd been married seven years. And from that time that her husband died, she'd been a widow. And you know what it says? She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. You know what she was doing? She was waiting for the Lord. She was waiting for the promise. She was waiting. And she got to behold him with her physical eyes. Now, if you would, would you turn your Bibles back to chapter 11 in Hebrews? In verse 39, I'll read it again. It said, all these, though commended through their faith, God had commended them through their faith. They did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, that they should not be made perfect. Now listen to this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. These aren't witnesses cheering you on. Like... No, these are witnesses. And what they're saying, now listen, folks, for all of those who didn't receive the promise, when those shepherds looked upon Jesus, when Simeon held him in his arms, that promise had arrived. Where you and I sit today, we're no longer looking forward to that babe in a manger. We look back. Even what we celebrate today, we look back at the coming of that babe in a manger. And even today, we're going to look back to the cross, and we're going to take communion together. Because that babe didn't stay a babe. He was the Savior of the world. He became our substitute. He is the good news to you and I. And these witnesses, you know what they're saying? No matter how hard it is. Because what are we looking for today? We're looking when he comes back. I want to ask you a question. Do you believe he's coming back? Do you? I mean, really? Because if you do, then you're not going to quit. You're not going to look at the present circumstances and go, God doesn't care about me. He don't have the power to do it. They, they, the Bible tells us, Peter says, the scoffers today, they say, look, you've been doing this for 2,000 years. Today's like yesterday. Tomorrow's going to be the same as today. There ain't nothing new. You go talk to not Orthodox Jews, but go talk to Jews that sell the lotions. If you're a guy, you won't have no hard time finding them. They come out going, oh, come here. A little weird, a little creepy. And you start talking to them about Jesus, you know what they say? That's just like Santa Claus. We all talk about it, but nobody believes he's really coming. It's just kind of a fairy tale that's what they told me you know what these witnesses are telling us hey if you've got to wait a couple of days to see god come through if you've got to wait a couple of weeks if you've got to wait a couple of years if you've got to wait a lifetime 
if you die before it happens, press on. Know this, that what God has said, it's going to happen. It may not be in your lifetime. Today, you may be dealing with a lost child. And you've been praying for years for this lost child to come to know the Lord. Well, God's in control. All he says is, keep praying, keep seeking me, keep pressing on, keep encouraging. You may, your, your marriage may be on rocks right now. And you're just ready to give up. You're already throwing Now listen, if you're a believer, you just told me, if you were in the group there, you just told me you believe he's coming back. He said, he that lives by faith must believe that he exists, that he is, and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Quit looking at the present circumstance. Lift your eyes up and look in the face of Jesus. It's not, you are not the end all of everything. I'm sorry to say it like that. But it's still about Jesus. It's all about Him. He said these, these, cloud, these great cloud of witnesses, He says, Like them, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. What are you holding on to in your life that is dragging you down? Now, do not say, oh, that's, that is my husband. No, that's not, that's not it. He may be dragging you down, but we're going to come through that. What are you holding on to? Is it, is it what you didn't get to do in your early life? I wanted to do this. I want, I'm going to go back and, I mean, how many times have we seen this today? And, and listen, you're going to listen to the voice of the world. It's going to tell ladies, you need, to, you need to be yourself. You need to find yourself. Matter of fact, once you leave your husband and your children and go, you just be you. It's you time. If that's really the voice you're listening to, you might want to examine who you are. Jesus didn't come and die so you could live a life like that. I'm sorry. We're to lay aside everything. And we're to look to him. He says, he says, lay aside every weight and sin which so which clings so closely, and let us let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There's a lot of arguments on, you know, what the joy was that was set before him. I'm just going to put it to you like this. The joy that was set before him was he was going to fulfill God's plan of salvation. He was going to return in fellowship with the Father. He was coming to save his people from their sins. And so today on this Christmas morning, and I hope you thank God today that you got a church that says, are we canceling church because of Christmas? I mean, I hope I don't. Nobody really asks that that I know of. Good thing. But on this day, as we look back to that same day that those shepherds, when they got to walk in that manger, and they got to put their eyes. When they got to put their eyes upon. That baby, that babe in a manger. That wise men would travel some several hundred miles just, just to lay their eyes upon him. I want to leave you with this. Does God care about you? Absolutely. He cares about you. 
more than you will ever, ever comprehend. Does God have the power to do things? Yeah. He can change every situation. On your part, you keep pressing forward in faith. You keep believing God can change everything, whether it happens now or not, whether it happens next month or not, whether it happens before you die or not. Just know that God is in control. He's working everything out perfectly according to his perfect plan. Tim, you guys can come. I just want to say Merry Christmas to all of you, and I love you. I just pray that you glorify God in your life.